what's up party people this is the inline heart this is the damn good day show where you know it is a damn good day to have a damn good day and the message of the day is picking off of the theme that hey it's january the past year is gone and there's an exercise i highly advise you do that's going to give yourself more accountability and also take off a lot of stress and it has to do with finances it's something that most people don't like to check in on because it's kind of like looking at your report card you know that feeling you're just like "Ooh, is it gonna say c or a i don't know but you're just pushing off facing the reality a lot of people treat their bank accounts their statements all of that stuff with it or they approach it when the end of tax season come like end of march early april so something I did that was actually inspired by my friend Chris, so shout out Chris, is I started tracking every single expense on a separate Excel spreadsheet. And what I mean by that, like I literally have an Excel spreadsheet where I put every single transaction I've ever done throughout the entire year. This includes my bank statements, credit cards, Venmos, even anytime I exchange dollars, I write it down. In a perfect world, you want to be doing this every month or every quarter, even every day if you can remember, but I never remember to do that. But I do that and what happens is it allows me to keep track of where my money's going. You know, you live in Miami, there's all sorts of fun things. You got to find out where your money's going, right? But if you do this now, at the end of the year, you can actually see from a bird's eye view, where did you do good and where did you go bad? A big thing you're going to learn is that you start having these little micro habits that add up. And if you can pinch those micro habits early on, it's going to make a huge dent in your overall financial goals for the year. So it's really simple. You write in all of your expenses, you write in all of your incomes, you write in all of your investments, and then you categorize them. The categorizing is what makes it so great. There's tools like Mints and your bank probably has their own proprietary software software that does this, but a lot of times it's really hard to create separate classifications. Here you can literally create all your own. For example, you can have dining out, dining in, rent, maintenance, water, electricity, and you can break it all down, build out this spreadsheet. Obviously it's gonna take a little bit of learning to be able to do this, but then you can really customize it to your lifestyle. For example, I'm getting a dog this year and I already started buying dog stuff. So I have a whole category of dog. There's like three micro categories of dog. Cause I'm curious, what are the ending expenses that are going to come with having this dog everything down from housing to entertainment to business expenses to miscellaneous to gifts log all of that stuff so that at the end of the year when it comes tax time you're just boom 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 you can look your accountant in the eye and just be like i got you so back to the podcast episode 131 we have an absolute all-star guest Christian Seal. He is the co-owner of Vitruvia. His company is fascinating to me. They've worked with clients like David Ortiz, Tony Robbins, and I love talking with people specifically in the health tech world because there's just so much we don't know about the human body and there's so much ways that we can do it better. We talked about investing. We talked about things that you should be doing on a daily basis to make yourself feel better. We talked about meditation. We talked about being addicted to stress. It went all different directions. There might've been a little bit of rollerblading in there. And I'm really, really excited for you guys to check out this episode specifically to learn about how maybe this practice can help you in your lives. And now without further ado, episode 131 with Christian Seal. Let's jump into it. We're live. We're here with the man, Christian Seal, Miami, doing the damn thing, living on Sunset Harbor, clearly living the dream. Welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Amazing. Just had an incredible sunset. I would have loved to share, but uh, just went down a few more minutes ago. 
I love it. I was just saying right before we, we recorded that I love rollerblading down that area and just rollerblading in general, I think is one of the greatest hobbies that more people need to do. It's just so much more fun. I, I don't know why, but I can't just go and run like three miles. People that are runners and choose to run for happiness, I just envy them because I don't know how their brain works. But you put skates on me and I can, you know, rollerblade for 15, 20 miles and be stoked doing it. So I don't know if you've ever shared that sentiment. My former girlfriend got me rollerblades and, uh, you know, she got all the pads too, like for every single, the, the wrist, the elbow, the knee, you know, every part. I only felt like two or three times, but I don't know that I could do 15 or 20 miles, but I totally understand what you're saying. The scary thing is going across the Venetian causeway. Cause you're like right in that lane and you know, people are going super, super fast. Uh, but I see some incredible rollerbladers. So I hope to get to your level at some point. Venetian causeway calls for a moped for sure. Yeah. I, I, I do this city bike is my kind of like uh, thing of choice, which is, uh, you know, you can dock it anywhere and it's, uh, it's just a nice way to get around. I love it. Well, I'm really excited to talk with you. I, I did a bunch of research in your background and, I love that you used to do the startup boot camp. I want to talk about it. And I'm just genuinely fascinated by people that have gone into the investing realm and sort of what led to those paths. And, you know, now ultimately you're building this awesome new company that we're going to jump into, uh, specifically, you know, in helping people move better, feel better. We're always trying to figure out what the best tools are out there to help. So we're going to figure that out as well. But I'm curious, I mean, back in your days at Goldman, right? You were in Goldman Sachs like a long, long time ago, right? You moved pretty early from Goldman into investing. What was the premise to that? When I was a sophomore at college, uh, I was enamored with you know, finance and you know, really kind of wanted to get a job at Goldman Sachs. And so I remembered to read the Wall Street Journal you know, every morning and lock myself in a room pretty much and like, do the same interview questions over and over and over again. So there was like no way I was not getting this internship. Uh, and I ended up getting it. And it was 07, 08. So financial crisis and an interesting time to be in the market. And then didn't love it to be completely honest, but you know, it was kind of lazy um, as thinking about what I was going to do my junior summer and ended up going back. And there was one thing that really stuck with me on the positive side. You know, I, I did very, very well in school and what have you, but you know, they said, at Goldman Sachs, you have to be A plus every single day. It's not like college where you you know can choose not to go to a class and probably still get an A. And that kind of really carried throughout my career. So that was a really positive uh, you know thing. One thing that wasn't, which part of the reason why I decided not to go back was uh, I, I just felt the idea of financial engineering for the sake of financial engineering wasn't necessarily the change I wanted to make in the world. And so while you could make a lot of money uh, and you know everyone's super intellectual and you know people are really passionate about what they're doing. It just wasn't really the change I wanted to make in the world. So um, decided to go to the country of Colombia and do a Fulbright scholarship and, uh, you know, cut my teeth in entrepreneurship down there and then got into investing thereafter. Where in Colombia? Barranquilla. So if you're familiar with Shakira um, or Carlos Vives, uh, a lot of like the best Latin music come from that region, which is really, really fun. That's amazing. I did six months in Medellin like three years ago and, uh, it captures a part of you. I love the idea of going to another country and just being the odd person out, you know, being the minority. I think everyone needs to have that experience at some point in their life. And not just during school, like study abroad is definitely a, a method of doing that. And it's kind of the most convenient. 
but I feel as an adult, as just like a fully functioning self, you know, on your own adult, everyone should just try it and get out there and go somewhere where they don't speak the language and figure it out. It's just a very humbling and sort of beautiful experience. Did you find that as well? I, yeah, I grew up in Western Massachusetts. My mom's family is actually from El Salvador. So I didn't grow up speaking Spanish, but, you know, I started to learn at 13. So I wanted to connect with her family, uh, but, you know, grew up very American and then uh, went to Brown undergrad in Providence. I, you know, I'd been abroad before for vacation, what have you, but never really spent a lot of time. And I could not agree with you more. I think every single person in the world should put themselves in another country or, you know, another de de demographic or what have you. Um, you know, I, I don't share this a lot, but I guess as we're talking about, you know, kind of being the minority uh, at the at Brown, I lived in something called Harambe, which was um, an African-American house. So, you know, I was the only person that wasn't African-American there. And I lived there for two years. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a very, I think, um, incredible experience to, you know, not look like the, all the people around you. And so it gives you a, a real perspective. And in Colombia, you know, gratefully, I, I, I do speak Spanish. I was able to blend in a little bit more, but yeah, you know, I'm obviously not from there. Uh, but I learned so much. I mean, some of the most beautiful, warm people with a zest for life, you know, those that maybe don't have a lot will give you the shirt off their back. And, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and the experience to have been there. I love it. I remember uh, I had a very big beard at the time. It's probably too big. Like when I look back, it wasn't stylish. It was just kind of like grizzly. This girl called me Jesus Blanco, white Jesus. And since then, it has just stuck with me. <laughs> Little show note, there it is. Anyways, as you're transitioning and you're starting to do startup boot camp, and in startup boot camp, are you, were you acting as bringing startups into the program as like a program director? Yeah, so maybe I'll just give you a little bit of the history in terms of how I was able to, uh, you know, get into it. So I, you know, I made a big transition from what I was doing in Latin America, which was. Uh, we built a, cert a certification for the oil, gas, and mining industries. Um, and I had like three really distinct experiences that happened to me in healthcare that propelled me to say, you know, I really want to help transform health and lives. You know, I ended up doing was saying Miami is this just really interesting place uh, to build and scale healthcare companies uh, because I think it looks like a lot of what the U.S. looked like in 20 or th 30 years. You know, I used to always say it was like the city of 2050. Uh, and so I had um, had the opportunity to meet Alex Farset, who started Startup Bootcamp a while ago um, in Copenhagen. And I just really liked the way that uh, he kind of thought about the world, you know, enabling other people's and their dreams. So um, we spent probably two years together. I, I spent some time in Berlin helping him launch a few programs there and then got the idea. Startup Bootcamp had no presence in the U.S., uh, had no presence in healthcare. And, you know, I was able to kind of blend my passion for helping early stage companies using you know what they had built in europe and bringing it here to the us and then raise the fund alongside of that to invest in 28 companies and we've sold the seven now that's a pretty amazing percentage seven out of 20 was it seven out of 28 or just in throughout the whole program we have two more liquidity events coming uh you know i i guess you know when i do something i like to do it well and so you know my my hope is that i I'm able to, you know, have the best vintage um, in the year that I started the fund and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think more importantly than the financial impact, to be completely honest, is, you know, kind of making sure you're making an impact in people's lives. And I think the one thing in healthcare that's, I would say, problematic is like, you can make a lot of people a lot of money, but if you're not helping the patient at the end of the day, it's like, why are you doing it? Um, and so part of the reason I'm so excited about Vitruvia is, it's not optimizing a sick care system. We're actually like helping people and transforming their lives. 
and so part of the reason I'm spending so much time with it is, uh, you know, somebody walks in, they can't move their shoulder. Now they can. Like that feels very gratifying as opposed to maybe making money off of a new way to use artificial intelligence to better risk code. You know, sure, great business and needs to be done, but maybe not exactly how I want to spend my time in life. So you mentioned the healthcare system and how crazy it is. And it's no, it's no stranger to the world of, of everything that is healthcare is broken. Talk to me about Retruvia. What exactly are you guys doing? I know you've worked with amazing athletes, uh, David Ortiz, Tony Robbins, and you know, other big names, and you're helping people. Can you t- give us the breakdown of what exactly it does? So Vitruvia really represents the future of healing. We look at the body in a different way. So we start with better insights. Uh, we built a tool called ScarMap, which looks at your soft tissue health and pliability. Some people may be familiar with Tom Brady and his old TB12 program. And they talk about pliability, the pliability of the soft tissue. And so the first thing we do is say, you know, what is the health of your soft tissue? And a lot of people come to find us because their quality of life has gone down, whether that's they had surgery and, you know, they're not able to do what they wanted to do before. Uh, you know, they're looking to avoid a surgery. They live in chronic pain. Um, you know, maybe just bad posture, poor biomechanics means that they can't do certain things that they used to be able to do. So we take that first step and look at, is their soft tissue somehow damaged or scarred or are there nerves that are entrapped? If the answer is yes, we've uh, developed a really safe, natural, elegant way to remodel the soft tissue. Um, and so we have anesthesiologists, my partner that invented the technique, Dr. Gotham as uh, an anesthesiologist, and we go in and we remodel the tissue three to five centimeters below the skin, uh, above the muscle. I always talk about it as scar tissue is like a picket fence, basically doesn't move. What we do is we go in and we break it up, uh, and take it back to how it should be, which is like a layer cake, extremely organized, if that makes sense. Right. I, I mean, I had a pretty big surgery in my leg where they took out a peripheral sheath nerve tumor that is non-cancerous, but it was growing on and around my sciatic nerve. So it was a pretty invasive surgery. I needed a neurosurgeon to do it. Um, And then after I got the surgery done, it was about a six month heal time, but I still have scar tissue in that area from like now over the past year, sometimes it gets inflamed and I relive those symptoms. Would I be somebody that would be a great patient to be able to do this type of procedure on to be able to like rework that scar tissue can you talk tell me more about that i always say the universe makes no mistakes and i've done a a fair share of podcasts and i've never had somebody uh you know ask the question that you asked which the answer is yes one thousand percent you'd be a perfect candidate um so you very much understand it it's what ends up happening is when you do surgery you know you open up the body um and the surgeon you know does probably an incredible job but what ends up happening is the way the body heals it lays down scar tissue and you know, you can go to PT and you can get myofascial massages and you can do a lot of stuff to hopefully ameliorate that. But a lot of times there's still scar tissue that remains that you need a procedure like ours uh, to go in and, and fix it. Got it. And then when you're talking about reshaping the scar tissue, is that a surgical procedure? Like you're going under a knife to do that or? No, I think that's the beauty behind, uh, you know, what we've invented here is it's, not surgery. Uh, there's really no downtime. You know, we have NFL players that will fly in on a Saturday. They're playing on Sunday. We actually encourage people to go do physical activity. You know, don't go squat 395 pounds, uh, but do the thing that maybe you weren't able to do before, because that's a good indication to us. If we've gotten everything that we need to, 
Um, if you're able to leave here, jump off the table, you know, have more range of motion, have decreased pain. We use lidocaine to numb up the area. And then it's a very simple intervention, you know, a few centimeters below the skin. Is it considered alternative medicine and, or how does it work with insurance? Um, so currently it's all cash pay. So it's elective uh, procedure. We're in the process of uh, reporting out on a variety of uh, IRB, which means uh, institutional review board studies uh, where we will uh, go ahead and then talk to the insurance carriers uh, about, you know, getting this to the point where it could be a reimbursed. Uh, you know, that's a process takes a little while. They typically say clinical medicine is seven to 10 years behind where innovative medicine is. Uh, and so, you know, we're in the process of getting people to understand, you know, why this is a good option for them. Why? I mean, looking at the actual procedure itself, you invest in companies, you've had a lot of successful exits. You've seen so many different ideas get pitched, but clearly this is the one that drew you to be like, Hey, I want to run with this and go. What component of the procedure kind of uh, necessarily blows your mind, right? Or gives you that wow perspective that allowed you to say, you know what, like, this is it. This is the thing I'm going to put all my time into. So one, I've been a patient uh, in, you know, it was probably one of uh, Dr. Gotham's first patients. I'd sprained both my wrists jumping off a trampoline and, you know, went to the best guy here. They put you in braces, they immobilize you. I'm doing like, you know, push-ups on my knuckles for months, wasn't getting any better. Three days later, I'm able to have full mobility. And so you, you become a believer. We always say healing is believing. I've had so many other treatments. I mean, I blew my ankle out. I've done that like 12 times in my life. Uh, you know, that's typically four to six weeks, maybe eight weeks of being off your feet. He treats me three days later, I'm walking. Like, I mean, it's when you feel it, like you're just like, I need to bring this to the rest of the world. He's helped my mom, he's helped my dad. I mean, all my friends. So it's like, I think it's, you become so passionate about it because it's something that's really improved your quality of life. Uh, but to answer your question specifically, I think it's thinking about the body in a different way. Like our theory is the body has this incredible innate healing ability and knows way better than you and I or any type of doctor. And just more about putting it in the right place to succeed, to heal itself. Um, and so I think that kind of underlying tenant is what, you know, really, really excites me. What are your thoughts on just the chiropractic field in general? Because there seems to be a lot of parallels between what you're saying and, and you know, a lot of chiropractic stuff. Specifically, I go to a chiropractor, I drive down to Fort Lauderdale. Um, Josh, he's amazing. And I've seen a lot of different chiropractors because I had bulging discs and I went through this whole process, but they do this thing called NUCA. And NUCA is this, have you ever heard of that? I haven't, no. So it was interesting is that you, they basically take x-rays of your neck. And a lot of times you go into chiropractors and they crack, 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 crack. And you're just like, nice. Like that probably did something and you're, you feel good about it, but they take a different approach and I believe in it a lot more. And it looks at like the spinal alignment in your neck specifically. And rather than cracking it, they, they look at your atlas and they basically realign your atlas, just basically pushing your hand in. And it can have like tremendous effects on the body. Like there was a patient that they had that was having chronic seizures for, you know, his entire life. He was like 27, 28 years old, chronic seizures, nothing would work whatsoever. And they came in, looked at the neck, aligned it just slightly, like a simple thing in your neck and kind of like the idea of like a water hose being kinked his seizures, like he didn't have a seizure for like 25 days after that. I have to go back and look at the interview with Josh when he was telling me. 
But it's crazy that, like you said, if you allow the body to do what it does, it can heal itself, but you need to be able to put itself into position. And it sounds like you guys are tapping into that. I would love to meet Josh. I could not agree more. I think there's a whole you know, industry of folks that maybe aren't accepted by the traditional medical world, uh, though I think that's changing, uh, that, you know, have found other modalities to treat. And, uh, you know, I, as I've grown older, uh, I used to take a lot of you know, over-the-counter medication. I used to, you know, take antibiotics like it was my job. You know, anytime I get sick, I would do it. And I've kind of come to the belief that, you know, the more you can do things to help put your body in position to heal itself, you know, that's a better route. Not to say there's not a place for medication, there's not a place for surgery. I mean, all those things are completely ne necessary. Um, I just always think of them as the last resort. 100%. The hardest thing about alternative medicine is the not accepting insurance piece. Cause it's like most people in this world, they're used to some level of insurance being accepted. And when you go to a naturopath for your gut or a chiropractor or or Truvia, and all of a sudden you have to drop five grand on something, you just immediately think it's a scam, right? Especially if you don't get immediate results, similar to like 10x the grief you get than if you go to the gym and don't get results because you spent a lot of money on it. And there's just this overwhelming resentment. So it's almost interesting because I feel like that perception won't change until somehow healthcare catches up with being able to front those bills. Yeah, and I think you're seeing some interesting things with insurance companies, you know, they're paying for food, uh, you know, they're paying for gym memberships. Uh, I have a good friend that owns a large network of gyms up in DC, and they've got an insurance reimbursement because they've been able to show improved outcomes. So I think it's coming. I mean, I agree, you know, it's definitely not where it needs to be yet. Uh, but I think we're on the pathway. And then on the flip side, you know, you're seeing consumers come out of pocket a lot more for things. And I think the reason for that is, you know, we're fine as a society, maybe spending 10, 20, $30,000 on a Hermes bag or a nice watch. You know, I, I tend to believe your most important asset is your health. And so, you know, to the extent that you look at it in that frame and it's not something that, you know, somebody else should pay for, but you really should be investing. I think people are starting to wake up to that a little bit more and willing to, you know, reach into their pocket. I think the last point is in the world of high deductibles, you know, sometimes, you have to pay $10,000 to even out of pocket to even get your insurance. And so some people are waking up to the fact where, you know, sure, I'll have catastrophic insurance, but maybe I'll just take that $10,000 I was going to pay anyway and, you know, go to the natural path or, you know, some other type of alternative medicine person. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it, it makes total sense. I completely agree with you. It, and it's interesting too, in the world of COVID and all the, you know, times that you know, everyone's saying you never hear the government saying i don't want to get all polarizing here but it's just the fact you never see people say you know treat your body better get healthy go out and get exercise stimulate immune system mostly it's just burying it with pills and i have a personal experience not with covid but with cybo i had an issue called small intestinal bacteria overgrowth in my stomach have you ever heard of it it's like bad ibs uh, you know, I, I, I had something similar growing up, so I am very familiar, but I, yeah, I didn't have the same exact thing, but yeah. But basically like, uh, I, you know, there's a pill that if you take it, it reduces the chance of you getting it or healing it by 40% in terms of reoccurrence. But I ultimately did something called the elemental diet, which is like, you literally drink the same liquid diet every day for two and a half weeks. I mean, it sucks, but it worked. And it's just a great example of allowing your body to heal because essentially it gives your gut a digestive break. I always think like fasting is so fascinating 
because it does require like a level of fortitude to just be able to go through with a fast, but the amount of goodness for your body and just reparative stuff that happens during a fast is absolutely amazing. I, I just think that if the whole world just fasted for X amount of time, we would see such a traumatic decrease in overall sickness. I couldn't agree anymore. And you got to ask yourself, you know, for however long humanity has been around in every major religion, uh, you know, fasting has been a tenant. And so, uh, you know, Western medicine is hundreds of years old, old, right? Fasting is thousands, not tens of thousands of years old. And then, you know, our real ancestors used to go for days without food. So I couldn't agree anymore. I mean, one point on that front is, you know, today I jumped in the cold plunge for four minutes or five, whatever it was. And, you know, I've started to do that every single day. And at first it's, you know, it's a little bit of mind training, but like now, like my body crazy. It's like, where's my cold plunge, dude? Or, you know, like with the sauna, it's like, if you're not sweating or, you know, for me working out, it's like super important to keep you know, my mental stability. And uh, yeah, these type of things are, it's almost like we've overcomplicated things so much in our healthcare system that to get back to basics, you know, probably be helpful for our health and then our overall system as well. Sauna, I love sauna. I got a sauna from my house and I'm just obsessed with it. I just like being warm, but I still have not been able to get myself to just be consistent with cold plunges. Like, it's just yeah. so miserable. I've done it a few times, but I'm just such a wimp. Like, I only can do it when everyone's watching me and I just have to, like, man up. <laughs> For me, it's a really, like, uh, you know, I meditate a lot and, you know, learn to breathe. I used to be a mouth breather. I still am, but I've learned to breathe a little bit more through my nose. And so it's a, it's a really good breathing practice because the one thing that, you know, you have the fight or flight response. I think now my body's pretty accustomed to it. So it doesn't have as much of the fight or flight response, but uh, you are able to kind of calm yourself more and more with the cold. And uh, I would encourage you to continue to, because I think you'll find that, you know, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. One of my good friends, Skylar is actually moving in uh, to my house in a few months. Uh, he went and did the two weeks with Wim Hof in Poland and if anyone doesn't know who Wim Hof is, he's the ice man. He's like the dude behind the ice plunge. He's the guy that set it all off and did all these studies about what it can do for your health. And this is a kid that I would have never, ever taken for someone who'd be like breath work, meditation, any of that stuff. He came back and became like a full yogi, you know, like hosts breath work, like does all this amazing meditation and just had such a dramatic change from that experience meditation and getting that becoming part of your daily habit. I truly think that that is a superpower. If you can actually harness it, like anyone can have it, but again, it takes discipline, retraining the brain. I'm like 25% there. Like I still have ways to go in terms of consistency, but how do you feel that like, do you felt like when you got into actually becoming consistent with meditation that you saw those effects, you know, instantly? I don't know. Instantly, uh, my experience has been I'm 30, about to be 35. I started when I was 25, uh, really because I had a pain point, which was I would wake up with an avocado pit of stress, you know, which I think is probably not too dissimilar for a lot of entrepreneurs. And so I, I got to the point where I couldn't really like function anymore. So I had to find something. Uh, I, I never really thought about like antidepressants or anti-anxiety stuff, which is really wasn't what I wanted to do. So, uh, I would say it's been a long process to kind of get that avocado pit of stress, you know, out of your body. And I think it's a lot of retraining the primary question that you ask yourself, you know, if you wake up and you say, well, what's going to go wrong today? 
or you wake up and you say, you know, what problem is going to come up? Well, you're probably going to get a problem and something's going to go wrong. Whereas if you ask yourself, you know, what's going to go right today. So that's been a big part of it too. But now when I do have those experiences of like fight or flight response or, you know, get super stressed out or something happens, I think the process of quieting your mind, you can instantaneously kind of change your, uh, your state, if you will. And then the other thing that's been really helpful for uh, meditation is I used to really like look externally for answers. You know, it's like, give me more information, you know, read the news every day, go to these like crazy elite schools, information, 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 information. I think information is great. I think when you quiet your mind, uh, whatever your belief system is, answers come up that you might not have otherwise. Uh, and so I think you can kind of get downloads um, and get answers that are inside. Interesting. If you could kind of like look back at your life, what do you, have you ever had a really, really bad habit? Like what's the worst habit or thing that you partaked in that just slowed you down that you felt was holding you back? So for a long time, uh, I'm pretty good about not looking at my phone in the morning. That's been a pretty deliberate practice that I've had. So like, you know, for probably an hour or two, I have a very like routine way of, I would say like rebooting my system. So that was good. What was bad was there was a time, probably a year and a half, two, three years, where even after doing that, and I'm kind of the one attacking the day as opposed to being reactive, in my mind, I was so fearful to look at my phone, to open up my text message, to look at my email. So I was so afraid of what I was going to find. And so I didn't really realize how bad a habit that was. But you know, every morning, I'm doing all these things that are supposedly good for you, quieting your mind, this, that, the other. And then what I'm looking for is like, I'm okay, show me the stuff that's bad so I can like stress myself out. Uh, and it wasn't until the former, my former girlfriend, she was like, you're addicted to stress. And I had no idea what she meant. And I think she was right. It was like, I needed that cortisol rush of like crisis, emergency, like I'm going to put out the fire or what have you. And that was a pretty bad habit. So now I, if it happens, great, I have to deal with it, but I'm not like searching it out. Addicted to stress. I've actually never heard that. That's fascinating. That realization of like, oh, wow, I'm chasing anarchy. <laughs> like I was saying to my friend, who's like one of my best friends, I'm actually marrying him and his, his soon to be wife. And, and she was like getting angry at him. And, and we were just the three of us. I was third wheeling at dinner. And, and she says to me, you know, what do you think are his best traits and his worst traits? And I was just going through and I was like, one thing I think about you to to his wife is that I think that you almost wish that he wasn't as good as he is because you're craving some level of drama. <laughs> you know, so many times people in this world don't like when everything's working out. They like a fire. They like a challenge. They want to feel upset. They want to cry. They want to think the world's against them. And I think that's a very somewhat natural component that happens to a lot of people. I think it's uh, how you were brought up and, uh, you know, some people... I and it's just becoming conscious of it. I mean, I, I think about the girls I used to date and what have you, uh, particularly as, you know, 10, 12 years ago, like I saw a lot of drama going up in, in my household. And, you know, that was uh, very much, you know, kind of like something that I was programmed. And so I think I went and found a lot of drama and it was like fun until it wasn't though. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think a lot of us aren't conscious of some of our you know, kind of belief systems or things that, if aliens were to come down and be like, why is this person always seeking out more drama? It just doesn't make any sense. But you know, when you're not conscious of it, it's kind of hard to get out of.
that's literally the society we live in. I mean, you look at the news. If you're a news junkie, that's all it is. There's so much. I mean, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I, I think every person that's a entrepreneur and or a human is at some level very easily addicted to their phone. Uh, I definitely am ashamed a little bit of how addicted to my phone I am. And when I say addicted, just, just looking at emails, like I'm still trying to figure out the way to get that because it's 24 seven. We don't have a break, right? In our society, we don't have a break. You're open 24 seven, unless you set rules for yourself which is difficult, especially as an entrepreneur, because it's like, you know, what fire is going on right now? And you're and you clearly have experienced that. Yeah, it's interesting, like France, and I think a few other countries have made it illegal to email folks after 5pm or on the weekend. And I think those are good practices. It's hard to remember a time, you know, when you weren't so dependent on your phone. In my case, you know, I, I don't have a car, so I use Uber. So that's something, um, you know, I'm really dependent on. I, I order food from Uber Eats. I and mean, there's a lot of stuff that you're really dependent. I haven't done a good job maybe the past few months, but I used to do a very good job on the weekend of, I put my phone on airplane mode, I put it away, and then I go throughout my day. Um, I think because it's like, you're trying to meet up with people or you need the Uber or this, that. I, I use it as an excuse. But I try to do, call it two to four hours. I wish I could do more, um, particularly on the weekend where, I don't have it. And just that break is like pretty incredible. Um, but it really requires it putting it away and then leaving the house because, you know, I'm like you, if it's there, I'm probably going to go to it. Um, the other thing that's been really helpful for me is putting on airplane mode and people like joke, they're like, you're literally the hardest person to get in touch with because my phone's always off. And I do it by design because I have willpower, but I think at any point, if you're getting inbound, 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 you're probably going to be like, well, maybe I'll take that and what have you. So it's like, if you just, take it out of your life. It's almost like food in the fridge. If it's not there. It's pretty hard to eat. And for me, putting the phone on airplane mode, is kind of the same thing. Yeah. I like that. I, I was just speaking with Joven Wade in the episode right before this. And he said that one thing that's helped him a lot to eliminate a lot of his daily stress is he takes like 15 minutes before the end of the previous day. So like the night, right. And just write down what you need to get done the next day, like the three biggest things or whatever, so that it takes away all the stress because there's a lot of stress that comes in the morning when you're like, oh, like, am I on my shit? Like, I feel like if I don't know, like where everything's at in my various aspects of my life, I get stressed, which is why I hate going on vacations. Like I get upset when I'm on a vacation because I'm just like, I feel so useless. Like I'm not moving the needle forward in any single way. And he said, a good thing to do that is just making sure that you know what you can do and you plan the night before. So you eliminate in the morning stress so you can get your gym done, get your meditation done and just crank. Another way to think about it, which has been helpful for me is, you know, that's really, I think, a helpful tactical thing if you want to you know, continue to strive and be productive, which I think, you know, all of us do. The other thing is just to focus on presence a little more. So one thing I'm really practicing is like, sure. Maybe I have three things to do tomorrow. Maybe they're really important. Maybe I, or I'm just going to be really present in this moment right now and enjoy it for everything it is. And then, uh, you know, take it moment by moment, which is way harder to do than it is to say. Uh, but I think when you do that, it's like you really start to live a little, a little more. Yeah. Being present, which meditation helps you hopefully become more present. So you can take Vitruvia and expand it globally. So what's the plan? So right now, do you have like a flagship store? Flagship in Miami Beach, Sunset Harbor. And then 
we're in the process of training other practitioners in this technique and licensing the scar map technology. So practitioners that already have an existing patient population can service, uh, you know, their patients and that will be happening, you know, call it the end of the year here, we will be, uh, hiring, you know, more practitioners that will train in this technique. Uh, and so, you know, end of, uh, 2022 will be big expansion for us. Um, we're being featured, uh, in a book that's coming out written by Tony Robbins, uh, I think next month should be exciting. And then, you know, excited to get this out to more people. So they have the option, you know, if they're in pain or have a lack of mobility. Does it have to do with like lasers is like, like how you're actually doing the therapy? No. Um, so it's ultrasound guided, uh, you know, anesthesiologists are using specialized needles to go in and repair and remodel the soft tissue. And then we use a combination of uh, proteins as well as fluid that mimics the pH of the body um, that helps in the process as well. It's so fascinating how we're learning more about this. Like, it's going to be so cool 10 years from now to look back and just see like, holy smokes, like just how much everything's changed, which means we are living at a great time in the world because we're young enough to be able to experience all of it. But at the same time, we're, you know, old enough to be able to enjoy it and not get sucked into it. I feel like it's almost harder for like very young kids just in, in the world of social media and, you know, metaverse because they're just going to get sucked right in. They won't know what, what it was before. Yeah, uh, I agree. I think you know, hopefully there are folks that still see the beauty and whatever this reality is in nature and, you know, not having to be in front of a screen all the time. Right. But I'm pretty stoked on Metaverse, to be completely honest. I'm all about it. I would love to uh, be able to throw some Oculuses on and just like wake up and ready player one. I'm all, I'm all, all about it, 100%. I just think it's the, that'd be such a cool experience. <laughs> Anyways, so in terms of your future plans, Vitruvia, so you're looking to license this out. You're looking to get more practitioners and scale that. So does that mean that like a chiropractor, such as my friend Josh, could become trained in this method and then they could bring your practice of Vitruvia into their clinic? So uh, the licensure varies by state uh, and you know, there's rules around who can puncture the skin and who can't. Uh, I, I don't believe chiropractors are able to, I could be completely wrong on that. Um, and so it'll depend on the level and the type of license that one has. It, the software is a little easier to license to a broader group of folks. Um, typically the procedure will, will be done by uh, medical doctors. And again, that will depend probably on the state. Uh, but yeah, that's the idea. You know, we'll license um, the technology, the know-how, the training, uh, and then we will also um, bring some other folks into our fold and you know most likely have a few other places like the place that we have in Miami Beach here um, to deliver care. What's the biggest thing that kind of holds your business model back? Like what's the hardest thing to overcome? Probably two things. Uh, one is lack of awareness and uh, lack of customer education. Uh, you know this is relatively new. Uh, when PRP came out for example, which I think the data is you know unclear on today, uh, you know, folks didn't know what it was, but now it's starting to be a little bit more in vogue and you could go to your, you know, person at a large academic medical facility and they'll suggest PRP to you. Um, so, you know, we're probably 10 years behind where, where that was. Um, so one is education. The second is, uh, you know, what we've developed, um, is very innovative and not a lot of people know about it on the practitioner side. So 
training other practitioners, uh, you know, is something that we need to go ahead and do. So, you know, we're able to get this to more people, the more practitioners that there are that know how to do it. And you have to build an entire like academy or like online academy, like how are you thinking of doing that? Yeah, so there's really good models uh, in terms of, you know, fellowships and uh, a variety of other, you start with kind of reading online material, um, and there's in-person practicum as well. And so, you know, the certification model, if you will, is, you know, something in Medicaid or excuse me, or the accreditation model is something in medicine that, you know, I think is pretty tried and true. And so we'll follow best practices there uh, and then, you know, bring the innovation to it um, where possible. You know, one example of that is, uh, you know, with telehealth now, we can have somebody in California using ultrasound telehealth us in Miami and we can be coaching them or with artificial, um, excuse me, with augmented reality, uh, you know, you can overlay things and uh, with the, uh, the hollow lens, you can put the goggles on and you can start to see some stuff without having an actual patient in front of you. So, uh, you know, the model of kind of in-person online courses has evolved and so we'll be able to do some really innovative things that hopefully takes the learning curve and tr truncates it a bit. I love it, man. If you could go back, this is something we just, I ask every single person that ever comes on the show. And if you could go back in time, you mentioned back when you were 25 or even like 18 years old, and you could have said maybe like one, two or three things that could have saved you a ton of time, money, heartache, headache, stress, addiction to stress, whatever it may be. And obviously like the best answer is I wouldn't have said anything because it made me who I am today, right? But if you couldn't say that and current you is talking to old you, what are some of those things that you would have told yourself? It's a great question. I think, you know, we should ask it uh, really often. I'd say the first is don't worry. Uh, you know, things always work out. Maybe not the way that you envision them to, uh, but, you know, just there's no reason to worry. Just take that energy and put it towards doing something you enjoy. I think the second thing uh, I would say is, don't be afraid to speak your truth and be authentic to yourself. Uh, you know, I think at least in my own case, you know, I was very worried about what other people thought, very worried about people pleasing. And uh, I think that takes a lot of mental energy to uh, worry what other people's reaction will be to you because you have zero control over it. Um, and so really all you can do is just be kind of authentic and true to yourself. That's amazing. Don't worry. That's, that's, if it's only that easy, right? <laughs> I love it. I appreciate it, man. Well, I, Thank you for coming on the show. We're excited what you're doing with Vitruvia. I would love to come to the clinic sometime and check yeah, it out. We'll scan you up. Uh, and then I uh, would love to meet your friend Josh as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll make that introduction. It'll be fantastic. Well, we appreciate you. And until next time, my man. Sounds great. Take care. Enjoy your Thursday. Thank you for listening to another episode. Remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.